Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Could this be the day I waited for When all my hard work doesn't go ignore Maybe she was right They will realize I can change the world Open up their eyes They know I am born They send me the blood And I send my rich bones I believe in love I just want to prove by the service gift I will change this world Baby, this is it Welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast the podcast dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed in medical school. And now here's your host, Patrick Beeman. Welcome back to part two of our Figure One series with Figure One's co-founder, Josh Landy, who today discusses how he started Figure One, the Instagram of medicine, and how you can use it in your medical education. If you haven't downloaded the free privacy-compliant app where you can share and discuss cases with other like-minded professionals, you should download it today. Just go to figureone.com or find it on your device's app store. You can also check out our best Figure One accounts to follow over at insidetheboards.com slash figureone or today's show notes page at insidetheboards.com slash episode 021. But first, a word about our sponsor. Thank you so much for your support of the companies that are helping with the production of this show. Today's sponsor is audible.com. You can get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial to audible.com's library of 180,000-plus audiobooks. As I've said before, don't give up being a reader just because you're in medical school. Right now, I am recommending Adelake Adesina's How to Prepare for the Medical Boards, which provides a nice summary of the things you need to be thinking about, especially if you're five or six months away from step one. It can give you an overview of how you should construct your plan of attack during your dedicated step prep time come summer. Head over to insidetheboards.com slash audible for details. If you leave a review of the podcast and send us a screenshot to info at insidetheboards.com, you'll be entered to win the contest for this two-part episode. A figure one swag bag with an anatomical heart t-shirt 
a femur pen, and a brain tote bag. And now I will hand it over to Elizabeth Beeman for our didactic portion of the show, our question of the day from Figure One's database. You can see the actual case from Figure One over on today's show notes page as well at insidetheboards.com slash episode 021. Thanks again for listening. Welcome back, Boards Insiders. This is Elizabeth Beeman with your question for today. Coming from Figure 1, a 27-year-old male presents to the emergency room with a penetrating stab wound to the left side of his chest. He is dyspneic, combative, and has a blood pressure that changes with respiration. Physical examination reveals a distended jugular vein on his neck and distant muffled heart sounds. Which of the following is the most specific indicator for the most likely diagnosis in this patient? hypotension, pulsus paradoxus, jugular venous distension, and dyspnea. So let's go through these and figure out how we would go about answering this question. So let's work through how we came to this answer. First of all, in this kind of question, you're going to have to figure out what is the correct diagnosis. Now, we have already talked a little bit about cardiac tamponade. Hopefully, you were able to figure out that with the constellation of symptoms this patient has, that would be the correct diagnosis. And then second, we're going to try to figure out what is the most specific indicator, the one factor that differentiates cardiac tamponade from the other diagnoses on our differential. So the correct answer, most specific for cardiac tamponade, is pulsus paradoxus. Pulsus paradoxus was explained in the question when it states that the blood pressure of the patient is changing with respiration. Let's talk about cardiac tamponade, and then we'll talk a little bit more about pulsus paradoxus and why that happens. So the things you need to know are that cardiac tamponade is going to be presented on the boards with what you may have heard referred to as Beck's triad, hypotension, jugular venous distension, and distant heart sounds. So this patient has those. We have the jugular venous distension, both described in the question and shown in the picture. Hypotension is maybe not explicitly stated, but we do have the evidence of change in blood pressure with inspiration. And the distant heart sounds are also stated in the question, these muffled heart sounds. Now, we do need to think about other things that should be on the differential for this question. For example, we want to be considering pneumothorax, hemothorax, intention pneumothoraxes. In any patient who's presenting with a penetrating stab wound to the chest, these are the kind of ways that they're going to ask you about these other syndromes on the boards. Tension pneumothorax causes this one-way valve in the chest so that with inspiration, more air goes into the chest, but air is unable to escape. The increasing amount of air in the chest causes a life-threatening, very severe status that needs to be managed with needle decompression and a chest tube placement in order to relieve all that pressure. The way that you differentiate a patient, say like the one presented in the question from a patient with tension pneumothorax, is that if the patient had tension pneumothorax, yes, we would see dyspnea. That's the same. However, there's more likely to be physical exam findings consistent with a large amount of air in the chest cavity. You may be able to see on chest x-ray that the mediastinum is shifted, and there would likely be diminished or absent breath sounds on one side. That's really going to clue you in. 
you may see tracheal deviation on chest x-ray, and you may be able to see a large black area on the chest x-ray showing air in the chest cavity, as well as the potential for a visceral pleural line on x-ray. So if it was tension pneumothorax, there probably is going to be more x-ray findings or physical exam findings that kind of indicate this is a unilateral problem where air is filling up on one side of the chest cavity. The hypotension that's seen in cardiac tamponade can be seen really with anything that decreases cardiac output, so could be seen in the other major things on our differential, including tension pneumothorax, also could be seen with myocardial infarction, also could be seen with a hemothorax. The jugular venous distension is also seen with a tension pneumothorax. However, of the clinical signs presented to us in this patient, Pulsus paradoxus is the one that really keys us into the correct diagnosis more than the others. The question stem states that the patient has a blood pressure that changes with respiration. We know that pulsus paradoxus is just that. A decrease in blood pressure of greater than 10 millimeters of mercury during inspiration. So let's talk about how this happens. Normally during inspiration, the systolic blood pressure will decrease to a small amount because the intrathoracic pressure becomes negative and the venous return to the heart is increased, as well as the pulmonary veins expanding due to the negative pressure in the chest. The fact that these pulmonary veins can expand means they can hold more blood, and allowing more blood to enter the lung space decreases the pulmonary venous return to the heart, and therefore decreases flow to the left side of the heart. This causes a decrease in stroke volume, which will be seen as a decrease in systolic blood pressure. So this is what happens in a healthy patient. We have a slight decrease in systolic blood pressure because of the increased amount of blood flowing through the lungs, decreased amount of blood going to the left side of the heart. However, there is increased venous return to the heart from the body because of the negative pressure in the chest. And so they kind of accommodate one another. The decrease in systolic blood pressure will be less than 10. This changes in a patient whose heart is unable to expand and fill with the increased amount of blood flow from the veins. In a patient with cardiac tamponade, that's the case. There's too much fluid building up around the heart. The increased venous return to the heart cannot be accommodated, and this decreases the cardiac output. The decrease in the cardiac output is much more substantial, and therefore the patients will have a drop in blood pressure during inspiration that is greater than 10 millimeters of mercury. This is called pulsus paradoxus. So pulsus paradoxus, as you can see, is the most specific indicator of cardiac tamponade. Pulsus paradoxus, our correct answer choice, is indicative of several different medical conditions, including cardiac tamponade, pericarditis, chronic sleep apnea, croup, and obstructive lung disease like asthma or COPD. However, the only one that made sense for answering this question with a patient with a penetrating stab wound was the cardiac tamponade. And now, part two of our interview with Figure One co-founder Josh Landy. Let's talk about education more broadly and how Figure One kind of fits into this picture. Uh, I'll be honest, I, I didn't know about figure one until about a month ago, and I just kept seeing your guys' app pop up on social media feeds. And eventually I, I clicked on it, and uh, or actually no, it was my wife. Uh, she downloaded it and she kept saying, hey, look at this cool case, look at that cool case. And I was like, what is this app? Downloaded it myself, and I was really impressed at just how many, not only 
unique sort of zebra type cases that are on there. Uh, but the community of people who are posting clinical visual material and who are getting responses from doctors and other healthcare providers, presumably all around the world. So what led you to start figure one? Well, um, I think I'll, I'll just sort of like walk back maybe one step to yeah. be able to, to point out some of the things that were in the environment that led to the production of this tool. Um, and some of those things are the, the behaviors that we all have or that we've trained ourselves to have uh, over the past decade um, using our smartphones. And those habits are things like we know how to compose very short messages that contain a lot of content. Yes. We know how to um, share pictures with people and expect them to uh, like them or respond to them. Uh, we've, we've learned and trained ourselves to give constant updates about lots of different parts of our lives. And most of those parts of our lives aren't super interesting to many other people. But all of those habits would be really well served if you could do them in healthcare. I mean, I'm sure there's lots of other private industries that would benefit from an efficient information paradigm, but medicine is dying for it. So uh, it, it, it just seemed like we have all these behaviors, we, have, we know how to use the tools, so let's build a tool that's designed for us to use these efficient behaviors in a healthcare system. You know, looking around, I saw that my colleagues were using their, their smartphones to take pictures of cases and update each other. And of course, when I did the research at Stanford, what we found was that young physicians were doing this constantly, and they were doing it for so many purposes. They weren't just doing it to uh, take pictures of things they had never seen before. They were doing it to take pictures of things that were variations uh, on a theme, to document uh, different versions of things, to ask for help, to give uh, examples of, of learning cases or teaching cases to others. And... Uh, the behavior of taking a picture and sending it by email or text message was something that when we extrapolated, it was it was going to be on the order of tens, tens of thousands of cases every day were being transmitted via over smartphones. And, you know, it's not particularly safe from a privacy perspective. Sure. Um, and it's also not necessarily efficient because there's so much good information, so many valuable educational assets that are just sinking down to the bottom of somebody's inbox. Yes. And so creating a tool that was going to let us both harness the power and the uh, content of all of those cases and at the same time give people a tool that would be safe to use in a healthcare environment that wouldn't be immediately ousted for, you know, um, not having done the proper research. Um, we put our heads together, sat down, drew a plan and built an app. I think this is so great because I, I've definitely been in situations where I've seen something uh, maybe puzzling, and I, I wanted to just be able to, say, snap a photo with my phone and send it to a GYN oncologist friend or or something of that nature. And there isn't really a good or wasn't really a good um, method to do something like that because, yeah, I'd worry about having a patient's, you know, protected health information on my personal device and then transmitting it across, you know, the Internet or a cell network, um, accidentally sending it to somebody um, with a similar name to the person I intended it for. I mean, there's a lot of practical issues, which I think prevent me from just doing that sort of thing. And, and I think figure one's trying to make this safer, right? And to prevent some high quality educational exchanges that might occur between, say, one consultant uh, and another physician from just being an isolated instance, but rather 
becoming a general archetype or example from which others could learn. And, you know, medicine is very visual. And you might only see, you know, one instance of this or that dermatologic finding or physical exam finding in your career. You may have read about it and seen the one picture that's in all the textbooks. But, of course, these are human beings, complex systems, and the variations that likely occur um, even amongst diseases that are supposed to have typical presentations, I, I think, is, is, is huge. So did you get a lot of pushback when you proposed this idea? No, actually. Um, I, got, I, got, I got two sets of feedback. One was pe- people asking how we were dealing with patient privacy, yep. which, you know, surely enough, I wanted to know the same thing. And that's and that is the that's the reason why we built the tool the way we built it was so that we could include privacy concerns or privacy tools uh, in from the beginning. So you know we've referred to this as privacy by design at Figure One. The second thing that uh, a lot of people were saying was, "Oh yeah, I thought of that too." <laughs> and I guess it just takes like any good idea somebody to actually put the legwork in to to get it done. Yeah. Yeah. Well. I know, I mean, it's an audio podcast, but I really think the, the listeners should download the app or, or get online and go to figureone.com and, and just see what you guys have to offer. Because if I open it up on my phone here, I've got a dashboard that looks uh, similar to some of the other social media applications I have, like Instagram, Facebook, etc. But a bunch of pictures come up, which I can browse through specialties or anatomic areas. Um, and you have pretty much every subspecialty uh, represented here. There's a, a HIPAA compliance messaging app or functionality for, I guess, uh, sending secure privacy compliant messages to other figure one users, correct? That's right. Yeah. As far as who the figure one user is, uh, you can sign up and then your team will verify the credentials, professional credentials of, of a, a healthcare professional. Does that include students as well? It does, yeah. We, we can verify students in many countries, uh, and we can verify physicians in over 100 countries. But our verification network, I think at this point, is the largest one in the world. And so if you're looking for any health, any licensed healthcare professional anywhere in the world, the place where they're looking at cases is at Figure One, along with the over 1 million other healthcare professionals. Wow. So that's a huge user base. And so you have a, a million uh, people signed up. So any idea how <laughs> how many images or cases you guys have? Oh, it's loads. We don't typically release those numbers, but you're not going to get bored anytime soon if you're scrolling down. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, I learned that pretty quick. And <laughs> and I mean, it's so cool because you have this picture here of, for instance, a, a CT scan, which you can scroll through with your thumb as if you were in a pack system and see different slices of the same uh, study. And then here's a CT of the chest with like 15 comments from other physicians uh, after the original poster asked a clinical question. I mean, it's, it's like very helpful, I think, especially as an attending now when it's just you and nobody is kind of looking over your shoulder to make sure that you're making the correct diagnoses, that you're treating something the best way. You have to rely on your training. But there are many times when it's, it's helpful to bounce an idea off you know, another 
healthcare professional, friends you've trained with, people, subspecialists or consultants that you've known. And this makes it possible um, very easily. So, Thanks, Patrick. One of, the, one of the things that I'm proudest of is the idea that we, th- this concept that we've put on the app, the tool set that we call paging. And what paging is, is essentially, it's like the switchboard of the world. It lets you request feedback from any particular specialist or subspecialist on that case. And when you upload it to figure one, our algorithm sources a verified specialist in that field who will put the case in front of and ask them to uh, to give you their thoughts. Now, of course, this is for information and education purposes. And, you know, but it, it does let you get the information you need in the moment you need it. And so, you know, with an idea that we're no longer restricted to needing to rely on people who respond to our phone calls, it opens up so many more knowledgeable people who can can contribute and collaborate uh, on a case with you. So I had a case where I had a patient who had um, an unusual film uh, developing on their eye that was rapidly progressive. And uh, being an ICU doc myself, I didn't really recognize what was going on. So I requested an ophthalmology consultation in our hospital. It was a Saturday and the ophthalmologist was going to be in the hospital on Tuesday. So I was going to, he was going to see the patient then. I, I uploaded the picture and paged ophthalmologists on figure one, and not 15 minutes later, I had two ophthalmology uh, uh, specialists whose comments agreed with each other, as well as a number of optometrists uh, as well. Um, the patient just needed a particular type of eye drop to reduce the type of film that was forming because of some exposure that she had had. And, uh, and literally, the film was gone by Tuesday by the time our hospital's ophthalmologist came by. And I don't think that's a particularly unusual scenario. No. And, and I think the more people learn about this and the, the more popularity it gets, you'll hear more things like that. Because I definitely think of situations where this sort of thing would have been really helpful rather than, or not necessarily rather than, but as a way to get some resolution to the clinical problem prior to the usual means that are available. I'm sure this has lots of applications in rural settings and amongst uh, you know physicians even internationally who might not have access to the the network of specialists and consultants that are available in most modern western healthcare you know settings so well i guess i do have a question about this though so i'm an obgyn you know a lot of the physical examinations that that i do are are sensitive in nature how, if I found, say, some odd vulvar finding, would I use figure one to, I guess, uh, post a question or, or whatnot while protecting the patient's privacy? What are the practicalities of it? Well, fortunately, the privacy laws don't have anything to do with people's private parts. So that essentially means that the information that you upload, as long as it doesn't have any uh, identifying information like that patient's name, their insurance number, their phone number, their date of birth, as long as all of those pieces of information are removed through the upload process, and we've got a nice set of tools that make it easy for you, though that picture of that vulvar lesion can be shared just like any other type of pathology. Remember that, you know, these are things that healthcare professionals see every day. I mean, of course, you know this, you know, people aren't looking through these images, looking for things that are particularly sensationalistic. And I can't imagine that people are looking up and down the list of images, including broken bones, x-rays, and ECGs, you know, uh, crossing their fingers that there's going to be... Something prurient or... 
Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I really, I mean, apart from the sensitivity of, of a patient having their physician take a picture um, of a sensitive area of their body, I don't think that it makes a difference to the, to the users because if it's in your field, then it's interesting you, to you professionally. Right. I guess what I was asking is, and, and I've read your terms of service and all that too, so um, <laughs> I, I'm cheating. I was kind of baiting you. And, oh, okay. The, uh, just the practicalities of what happens to get something from, oh, this is interesting, or I could use some comments on this to figure one and all the people who will use it. So let's say I have a dermatology finding um, that I would like to share with others for educational and informational purposes. And I was curious myself, how would I put it into figure one and share it with the network? So I'm happy to walk you through the upload process. That's no problem at all. Essentially, uh, you know, you'll start an upload and it'll just be like any, almost any other um, social media type process where you'll take a picture or select one from your camera roll. We've got a built-in face detection tool, which will uh, detect any faces and block them for you. But then uh, you'll be requested to review the image and make sure that none of the um, privacy uh, sensitive pieces of information are able to be seen on that image. Uh, and there are tools to remove them like cropping or just using your finger to draw pixels over top, which actually erases those pixels. Um, the image uh, will be processed on your phone to have the EXIF data, that's the location and the time when the picture was taken. That data is all wiped from the image and it's uploaded to our server uh, where that image will be seen by our privacy queue. Um, we sort of have a, a privacy moderation team who will look at all the images to ensure that the privacy tools have been used correctly and then approve those images manually. Of course, there's also a, um, a HIPAA authorization form for your patients to sign before the picture can be taken. And that, that form is built in uh, not just for North America and HIPAA, but there's a different version of it in Europe and of course in many, many different languages. So so that uh, patients everywhere can read it because they're the ones who are meant to read it and sign it. That authorization is right there on your phone and, um, and the patient can give you consent right there and then. And do they sign with their finger like a square app or something like that when you... Uh... Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay, that's very interesting. So how do you see this applying to medical education? Now, specifically, I mean medical students. I'll start by saying that at the moment, uh, over 70% of uh, North American medical students are using Figure One. And I think that in part, the reason why it's, it's had such rapid uh, uptake is that this is an opportunity for you to see more cases. I mean, one of the things that you need to do a long residency for is so that you can see enough of the things that you need to know for when you're going to be practicing. Um, you just need enough variety. You need enough experience seeing cases over and over again. And a tool that's going to let you extend your reach and be able to see cases that you would have never been able to see through your uh, residency are now available at your fingertips every day. And so being able to uh, see cases that are related to things you've seen, hearing about something and wondering what it really looks like and how you talk about it, helping people get up to speed with how they use medical language. I mean, all of these things are sort of little practice versions of what you need to be able to do in real life as a clinician. Yeah. From a student's perspective, uh, having a community that can do that and sends you a medical quiz every week. I think that that's probably just the reason why the, the students have seen it take off so, so well. Yeah. So if, if you're not 
among the 70% of uh, medical students in the U.S. who are using it. Again, you should check it out, figureone.com, or download the app on the App Store. And you're on Apple as well as Android devices, correct? So That's right. And we've got a web app for anybody who needs to be connected to the Internet using another format. That's awesome. Is there anything else that you would really like to highlight or talk about? Um, I mean, I'd be happy to talk about any other aspects. I mean, one of the things that I always uh, look for the opportunity to say is that the knowledge of specialists shouldn't be beyond the reach of anyone who works in healthcare today, not within the internet being as connected as we are. People in places where they don't have running water have cellular banking. So having cellular healthcare, I think, is probably the next item up for human rights. Wow, that is a powerful statement. Well, on that note, any like unique figure one mediated healthcare interaction that made a huge difference that really stands out? Um, any figure one like super success stories where maybe sharing a, an item made a difference in somebody's health? Um, like critically? Oh, there's no question. I mean, we get stories from our users nearly every week. We've seen cases where, um, uh, for example, there was a, a baby that was born in Haiti with an unusual skin condition, something that uh, no one had seen before at the birthing center. And when I say no one, I mean the single nurse who was working at the, at the birthing center. She didn't know what it was and didn't feel safe sending the, uh, the baby home with the parents. She posted the case to figure one. 16,000 people came to see that case. And the right response came from a physician on, who was on the West Coast of the United States. And it turned out to be a totally benign skin condition that is just a bit unusual. And so, you know, being able to connect from one place in the world to another place in the world, both rapidly and in an urgent situation, um, was able to make the difference uh, both to this family and, of course, to the nurse who was looking after them. We've got, you know, people who are stationed using Figure One uh, in refugee camps in Syria. Um, we've got users who are in the, the jungle uh, of the, the rainforest in Peru who review cases. The, you know, these are the types of cases that I think are exciting to talk about. But the truth is that many of us feel just as isolated as some of those people do. You know, you don't you don't have to be in the rainforest in uh, the Amazon. You can just be in the rainforest of the Amazon of your mind. And it's just as lonely and just as difficult to stand next to a patient feeling the existential dread of medicine, knowing that you want deeply to help this patient and you simply don't have the knowledge you need. Um, and to be able to access that instantaneously and from anywhere in the world, I think, seems like maybe too futuristic. But, you know, and despite medicine being a bit of a slow moving thing, we're, we're ready for the future. So bring it on. That's awesome. Well, Figure One is free, so head over to figureone.com um, or download it on the uh, app store of your favorite device. And Josh, thanks so much for taking the time, and uh, we look forward to all the cool things that uh, Figure One's going to do for medicine in the future. Thanks very much, Patrick. I look forward to it, too. This episode's music is thanks to Forgive Durden. The track is Life is Looking Up off the 2008 album Razia's Shadow and Music. Thanks to Tom Dutton for giving us permission to use this song. Inside the Boards is in no way affiliated with the United States Medical Licensing Examination, Comprehensive Osteopathic Medical License Examination, National Board of Medical Examiners, the National Council of State Boards of Nursing, National Board of Osteopathic Medical Examiners, or any other licensing or examination body. All exam names and other trademarks are the property of the respective trademark owners. 
content discussed during the program is the property of inside the boards or the attributed trademark owner and may not be reproduced without permission from the appropriate entity. Inside the Boards fully adheres to the respective policies on irregular behavior outlined by the aforementioned credentialing bodies.